Well, today we have the wonderful opportunity uh, to begin a new sermon series. And so we're glad that you're here to um, be able to experience this together as we are uh, taking a look uh, in this new series, the idea and the thoughts of what is biblical eldership? What, is, what does that mean? What, is, what does that look like? And so the next few weeks we're going to begin to unpack that and uh, help it. Uh, see how it inform it forms our church, and so this is a little bit different of a sermon series than, than you may be used to. Uh, there's going to be a little bit more teaching um, from from my perspective than, than preaching, and so you may, if you've been here for a while, you'll probably pick up the difference and be able to feel a little bit. Um, but if you're new here, uh, this is we're glad that you're here. Um, but this is a little bit different. So we are looking at the idea and the thought about a biblical eldership. And what does it mean? So over the next few weeks, we're going to look at, like, why are we taking a look at this? Why is it important um, that we look at biblical eldership? And we're going to look at what is biblical eldership all about um, and, and how. How does this fit into the life of our church? And so um, over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at discipleship and look at eldership from the church perspective. So for those of you that, that aren't aware, we are uh, one church that meets in multiple locations. And uh, when we look, when we think about the church, we think about the church on a, on a corporate level or a larger community level. So there's the, the aspect of where our church is, two churches that gather together as one church. So we look at things and we answer questions sometimes from the church level, but we also sometimes look at things and, and answer questions from the campus level. So as a, as a campus, we have questions that um, look at and fit to us and, and, and relate to us specifically, but we're going to be looking at discipleship and eldership from the, the corporate level or from uh, the church perspective. And as we do this, what we're going to see is, um, even though it's related to the church, there are specific campus implications that uh, this decision and this thought and this idea is going to impact us here. And one of the main reasons that this is coming up is because our church has grown. Now, we are a church that, that has two campuses, but the hope is, is that we will be a, a, camp, a church of multiple campuses. And as, as we grow, whenever you go through a time of transition, whether it be in your own personal life or, or through your work, it's always good to, uh, to realign yourself or to make sure that the, the path that you're walking in is founded in truth. So that's very important. So as, as a church, as we've been looking at this process of discipleship and looking at this idea of eldership and looked at our, our current culture as being a changing culture where we are a growing church that is looking to have multiple campuses, the good place for us and the way that we, we go to find what is true is we come to the Bible. So it comes necessary in times that we, we come back to the Word, our foundation, and we say, since this is true then how is it that we're living, and do we need to realign ourselves with what the Word teaches? Or better yet, of looking at our practices, are our practices that we are doing, are they rooted in what the Word teaches? For we know that in our own lives and in, in the lives of any body of, of people or any group of people, there's a tendency towards drifting. If you leave any institution or you leave any person unto themselves, there will be a definite tendency towards drifting. They will drift either to a place of more being more liberal or they'll drift to a place that's being a more conservative or, or ultra-conservative or even fundamental. And so you see that there's a tendency to drift, and we see this within churches, we see this uh, within organizations, we see this within individuals. And so it comes time that we, we need to make sure that we aren't drifting. And so we come to the Word of God to keep it as our place of center. So we're looking at this because of the change. 
Uh, the second thing is, is that in the process of this sermon series, we're coming as, as pastors, Pastor John and I are coming to you, the church, with a big ask. We have a big ask that we want to ask for you to, to approve a, a decision and the direction of our church. And so this is a church decision with campus implications. For you know that we have been, we've been growing. And one of the questions that, that has plagued Pastor John and myself is, since we are growing, how are we providing care for the people that God is bringing to our church? For Maybe you know this, maybe you don't, but in the end, when, when, when Pastor John and I stand before the Lord, he's, we're going to have to give an account for the way that we cared for his church, the way he cared, we cared for the people that he brought to, uh, to the church and the, way, the people he brought to himself. And so what we're noticing is, is our growth is impacting our capacity uh, to shepherd. It's, it's impacting our capacity to shepherd other people. It's impacting... Uh, access of ourselves to other people and also other people to ourselves and it also is creating distance there's more distance as a church grows there's more distance between the pastor and every person of the church and so we care about that we don't want to be a, a church we don't want to be pastors that don't care for people we don't want people to fall through the cracks and so we want to make sure that we are doing all that we can to care for people so here's the answer that we the ask that we want to ask you as a congregation is, may we as a church ordain laymen of this church to assist in the work of shepherding God's flock as elders. So we're going to ask, uh, at the end of the sermon series, and right now we're asking it now, but we're going to ask you to, to weigh in on that. May we as a church ordain laymen to serve as elders, to help us shepherd the flock. Now there's lots of implications of this. The implications of this is, not only do you, are we asking you to approve this or to affirm this, but we're also asking you to receive it. Let me explain to you. I was pastor of a church a few years ago that um, really cared about pastoral presence. And so if, if I had a, a church member that was in the hospital, uh, the, church wasn't, the church didn't do a good job caring for that person in the hospital unless the pastor came to visit. That was like the criteria. Now, there could have been 87 different people from the church that went and visited this one person in the hospital. But the person would not feel as though they were visited by the church unless the pastor came. Now, so in this case, if we are at a place in the church where we are asking other elders to come along and asking them to help us shepherd the flock, if you're visited by an elder or you're cared for by an elder and not the pastor, like that has to be okay. And so that's an implication, is that, it, is that you don't have to be visited by a pastor, but you are cared for by the church. And so other way that looks like is that by expanding eldership, you allow others than just the pastor to provide love to you, to provide care for you, to provide guidance for you, and you allow others to, to teach you. And so at the end of this sermon series, we're, what we're going to do is we're going to ask for you to affirm this. We're going to ask that, that you affirm this direction and that you allow the church to begin looking at um, shepherding or elders as shepherds and lay shepherds. So as we look at this, so that's the ask. What we're going to try to do over this sermon series is give you an image of what an elder is to look like. So what is an elder? Well, I think the scripture gives us one of the best images of what an elder is. And I think the image is, is that of a shepherd. And we're going to talk about that today. So that's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at the elder shepherd. Now... Today we're also going to do things a little different because there's not just one passage that we're going to anchor everything in. 
we're going to have multiple passages, so I'm going to have all the passages up on the screen so we can read them together. But one of the things that we do is we look at, at Scripture. What I want us to understand this morning is when you come to Scripture and you see the word elder or you see the word shepherd, especially in the New Testament where you see the word pastor or bishop or overseer, those are synonyms. Those are all words that are synonymous with one another. So they're used interchangeably. But today we're going to use in this sermon series, we're going to look, use the image of a shepherd because I think it's, it's very biblical and I think it helps us understand what it is that we're asking. What it is that we hope to move into or to continue to add to uh, as we move on. So today we're going to look at the image of a shepherd. And we're going to look at what are the four essentials to understanding elder shepherds. So that's what we're going to walk through. Four essentials for understanding elder shepherds. Now if you're here today and you're like, well, this is like church stuff. This is beyond me. I don't really feel a connection to this. Let me just say this. You are connected to this. Because as we've been talking about in our last sermon series about how the Lord calls us to be disciple-makers. The Lord has given His church shepherds, but He also has given us to be shepherds of someone. So if you're here today, you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're a shepherd to someone. Maybe you're a shepherd to your children. Maybe you're a shepherd to your, your family members. Maybe you're a shepherd to your coworkers. Someone in this world is looking to you to provide care, or someone to you is looking to you to find leadership. Someone is looking to you to help guide them in this thing called life. And so as we talk about the shepherd, I want you to find personal implications and applications for your own lives. For what is true of God and what is true of his word and what is true of God's leaders is also true of us as individuals. So let's dive right in. Today we're going to begin looking at God the shepherd of his flock. God being the shepherd of his flock. So that's the first essential, that God is the shepherd of his flock. Genesis chapter 48 verse 15 we see that in this time, uh, Jacob is getting, he's in the process of, of coming, his time on this earth is ending. And so he's spending some time with his, his sons, and he spends some time with Joseph. And, and as he's spending time with Joseph, in Genesis chapter 48, verse 15, he makes this statement about God. He says, the God before whom my father Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day. So we see that that Jacob, in the very, very beginning, sees God as a shepherd. Not only was uh, God Jacob's shepherd, but he was also Isaac's shepherd, and he was also Abraham's shepherd. And so we see that God being a shepherd, caring for his flock. And then we can also look to Psalm 23. Uh, it's going to be up here on the screen. Psalm 23. And we're going to look David using the imagery of a shepherd to talk about the care of God that he gives for his people. This is Psalm 23, beginning in verse 1. This is the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in reed pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So I love how David uses this beautiful imagery of, of God being the shepherd of his flock and how he cares. And if we go back and we look at the first three verses, we see that God is in the process as a shepherd. He's doing three things. 
One thing he does is he leads. God is a leading shepherd. He leads us in paths of righteousness. He leads us beside still waters. God is one that doesn't want us to be floundering sheep, but God is a God that cares for us and wants us to go in the direction that he desires. And so God is a leading God. We see also in that passage that God is a protecting God. His, his rod and his staff, they cover me. Even though we walk through this, this valley of the shadow of death, though we walk through this world that is uncertain, though we walk through this world that is scary, though we walk through this world that is full of pain, we see God is there protecting his sheep. God is a fierce protector of his sheep. But then we also see that God is a God that feeds and provides he prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies. God is a God that cares deeply for his sheep. He wants them to be fed. He wants them to be provided for. He wants them to be cared for. So we know that God is the shepherd of his flock. We can see this, this imagery carried out throughout the whole Old Testament, even into the New Testament. So as we think about God and we think about his care, it's a beautiful imagery to know that as I walk through my life, I'm not alone. Like as I go through the challenges of my own life, I'm not by myself. But there's a God that is caring for me. There's a God that is intimately acquainted with me. There's a God that intimately cares for my needs. There's a God that cares for my, my fears. There's a God that is there walking by my side. So if you're here today and you're going through a rough patch in your life, Maybe the wheels have just fallen off on your life and, and it seems like everything's out of control and you're looking for meaning, you're looking for purpose, you're looking for direction. I want you to know that there's a God that cares for you. There's a God that wants to be your shepherd. There's a God that there is a true God that cares so much about you. There's a loving shepherd who cares for sheep and wants to shepherd you. So we see that God is the shepherd of his flock. The second essential truth we need to understand about this elder shepherd idea is that shepherds of God's flock is not a new idea. That God calls some to be shepherds of his flock, even throughout the Old Testament. So it makes sense if, if the Lord is the shepherd of his people and, and we are his flock, that we should not be surprised that God continues to use the shepherding imagery to refer to those whom he calls to lead the, or care for his own flock. And we can see this all throughout the Old Testament. I'm not going to turn there, but I'm going to give you just an oral history of, of what the Bible talks about as God has appointed shepherds of his flock. This, what you're going to see is this is not a new idea, but it's an idea that is very ancient. It's part of God's plan and God, God, part of God's purpose that he's laid before the foundations of the earth. If we flip back to Genesis chapter 4, verse 2, we see, remember Cain and Abel, the first two uh, sons of Eve. We know that one was a, a carer of, of the fields and one was a carer of sheep. We see that Abel, in Genesis chapter 4, verse 2, Abel was a keeper of the sheep. So Abel was a shepherd. Then we move on shortly from there. We know that Abraham, we see Abraham come on the scene. And then Abraham, he has a son named Isaac. And, and after Isaac comes Jacob. And we see that even after that, their families, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and their families, they were all shepherds. And so they cared for flocks, they cared for the animals, they understood what it meant to protect and feed and to lead. Then we can even move on further into uh, the Old Testament, and we see that Moses, Moses was a man that was raised in Pharaoh's house. He was a Hebrew man that was raised in Pharaoh's house. So he had everything that he needed, everything that he had ever wanted. He was a, a child of privilege. 
But God had a plan for his life to call him to be a shepherd of God's people. And so in part of this plan, God sent him from the palace into the shepherding field where he spent 40 years shepherding his father-in-law's sheep. And remember, as, as part of Moses' life, remember that day where he's out tending the sheep and he walks upon this, this bush that is on fire? And God begins to speak to him through the voice of this? It's while he's tending sheep that God gives him his purpose and God gives him his plan. But we also know that the shepherd hook that he had was very important in the life of Moses. It was that shepherd's staff that God used to turn into a snake. It was that same shepherd's staff that God used to turn the water into blood. It's that same shepherd's staff that Moses leads God's people through the, the, um, the Red Sea as he leads his people out of slavery in Egypt. <coughs> Isaiah chapter 60, verse 63, verse 11 says this. And then he remembered the days of old of Moses and his people. For it is he who brought them up out of the sea with the shepherds of his flock. So we see God called Moses to shepherd his people and to be their leader. And to be the one that is looking out for them, caring for them. And we can move on from Moses. And shortly after that, in the time of, of history, we see that there were other shepherds that God raised up. One of the shepherds was, the, one of the shepherds was a king. We see the first king of God's people was Saul. And and we see that he was called to be the shepherd of God's people as their king. And we see over time and through his life that he was a bad shepherd. That he didn't care for God's people like God wanted him to. So God raised up another king. And we see David was the king that God had called to take Saul's place. But do you remember where David came from? Do you remember the day that, that, that Samuel went down to, 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 to lay his hands on the next king? Do you remember where David was? David was out in the field tending his father's sheep. He was shepherding his father's sheep. And so God calls him from out of the shepherd's field to be a shepherd of God's flock. David learned so many valuable lessons from being a shepherd in the field that when he became a shepherd of God's flock that he understood what that meant. 2 Samuel verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 11 says this, of David. He said, you shall be my shepherd of my people Israel. You shall be prince over Israel. Then we also see in Psalm 78 verse 72 about David's disposition or his heart. It says this, with an upright heart he shepherded them and guided them with his skillful hand. So we see even in the Old Testament that God continues, has continued to raise up shepherds of his people. Those that will help lead, those that will help feed, those that will help but we also know that there were times in the Old Testament where the shepherds were not just single people, but there was a multitude of shepherds that cared for the flock of God. And we're going to see that in, in just a moment when we get down to Ezekiel 34. But it's interesting to note also here that these shepherds that God calls, He's not calling them to shepherd their own flocks. But God is calling men to shepherd His flocks. His people. So he sets people up to be the shepherd over his people. These sheep do not belong to the shepherd. But these sheep belong to God, who is the great shepherd. You see, whenever you involve humans and you allow humans to be shepherds, there inevitably becomes a problem. Because in humans, there's always this tendency towards drifting. Talked about that a little bit more. There's a tendency to drift away from the responsibility and the calling to see your position or to see the place God has called you as something that's about you. We can see this throughout Scripture as well. 
Remember Moses, how we just talked about him, how he was God's called shepherd? There was a time in which Moses drifted. See, there was a time when God called Moses. He said the people of God were out in the wilderness and they were thirsty. And Moses calls out to God and says, God, your people are thirsty. What, what can we do? And God says, speak to the rocks and water will come from them. And so what Moses does, instead of speaking to the rocks, he takes a staff and he strikes the rock with, uh, with his staff and water comes. But we see that he was disobedient to the call of God. And so because of that disobedience in his heart, he is disqualified from entering into the promised land. We go on to David, and we know that David was a man that was after God's own heart. He was the shepherd king. But we need to also understand that in the process of him being a shepherd king, he misused and abused the sheep of God. Remember the story of Bathsheba? Where David takes and abuses one of his sheep in Bathsheba? And then not only does he, he, he mess up Bathsheba and, and, and do something so evil to her through, through committing adultery, he also tries to cover it up through the killing of Uriah. And so we see the people of God, the shepherds of God, are taking advantage of the sheep, which is despicable to the Lord. And if we turn to Ezekiel chapter 34, what we're going to see is this plurality of shepherds over God's people. Turn with me there or look with me up on the screen. I want to read this passage to you. This is Ezekiel 34. Let me give you the context before we, we jump in there. Ezekiel was a prophet that was writing during the times of exile. After God's people had drifted so far away from God, he leads them into a time of exile so that they can see that they have drifted away from God and they, they can see the distance that they have created. This is going to give us insight into what the shepherds of God's flock were doing. So let's look here. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God. Ah, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding yourselves, should not the shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. God levels a great indictment against the shepherds of God's flock. You see, instead of feeding the flock and, and providing for the flock and protecting the flock, these shepherds were using the flock's for their own advancement. We see that they failed to strengthen the sick. They failed to lead them. They failed to help go and find the lost ones. Instead, they were feeding themselves off of the sheep. They were using the wool from the sheep for their own benefit. This is a huge indictment. This is a huge responsibility and a huge challenge that rests on the shepherds that God calls over his people. Sometimes, though this drifting of, of the shepherds is based on purposeful neglect. There are times in which people rise up to the position, and, and don't see it as, as a calling, but they rise up to the position of being an elder and they, or a shepherd, and they take advantage of that position. It's all about them. But there are also times when the people of God get overlooked, not just because of this purposeful neglect. Sometimes the capacity of the sheep exceed the capacity of the shepherd. 
If there are more sheep and not enough shepherds to shepherd the sheep, then it's potentially that there's more sheep and more care that is provided that some sheep could get lost and unbeknownst to the elder himself or to the shepherd himself. So we see that there's a need. Sometimes it's because of neglect, but sometimes it's because of exceeding capacity. If we follow on down through Ezekiel 34, which we don't have time to do, when it, see in Ezekiel 34, 11 through 22, God promises care. He, he shares with the people of God how he's disgusted with this action. And he goes on to tell that every failure of these shepherds is noticed and all the failures will be met by God. And then he goes on in Ezekiel 34, 23 through 22, or 23 through 31. He goes on and points to one that is going to come that is going to be the perfect shepherd. For we know that there are limitations in human shepherds but there is going to be one that is going to come that will be the good shepherd. So let's take a few moments and look at this good shepherd. There is, all, even though all these Old Testaments were a type of shepherd, they were called to lead, they were pointed to one that was going to be the good shepherd. The one that was going to show what it means to be in complete obedience to God and yet also care for the people of God in a way that is loving and a way that is sacrificial. So look with me in John chapter 10 as we look at the good shepherd. John chapter 10, uh, looking at verses 11 to 16. Jesus is speaking. So if you have a Bible, this is in red letters. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, so there will be one flock and one shepherd. So Jesus here is referring to himself as the good shepherd. I love this passage because in it we see that Jesus knows his sheep. He just doesn't know about his sheep. He knows his sheep. He knows their name. He knows their needs. He knows where they are. He knows them so intricately that if something is wrong with them, he's able to pick it up. Like if, if a sheep has, having a bad, has a bad leg, he's able to know and able to see the needs of that sheep. So we see God be, or Jesus being the good shepherd. He knows his sheep. We see him providing for his sheep and laying down his own life for the sheep. We see him protecting his sheep. He wants to protect them from the evil ones. And we also see him being a leader of his sheep. We need to understand through from the good shepherd is the role of the good shepherd is not a job. The role of the shepherd of God's flock is not something you punch in and you punch out. You don't go on vacation from shepherding the people of God. It is a, it's a great price and a great cost that comes from the shepherd of God's flock. Literally, it is giving your life away for the people of God. And we see that's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus provided through giving of himself, giving his very life to pay the penalty for wayward sheep. Do we not realize this morning that we all like sheep have gone astray? That each one of us have rebelled against the good shepherd. We say to the good shepherd, I don't want to be in your flock. I want to do things my own way. I want to be a shepherd unto myself, or a sheep unto myself. I want to call the shots. I want to do the things that I want to do. And what we see is because of that, that 
that attitude towards walking against the good shepherd, the great shepherd, the shepherd of God. That we stand in the sight of the shepherd as being condemned. And Jesus, the good shepherd, comes to live the life we couldn't live and die the death that we deserve. So Jesus is the good shepherd, the one that has paid the price so that we can become close back again to God, so that we can feel the love, the affection, and the care of God. So Christ is the good shepherd. But he's also, we see, that God calls other under-shepherds to shepherd his flock in the church. And that's what I want to spend our last few moments together looking at. Shepherds within the church. Now there's a difference between the shepherds within the church now and the shepherds of old. There's a huge difference between the shepherds of old, the Old Testament shepherds, and the New Testament shepherds that we're going to see shepherd the flock of God. The huge major difference is this. Shepherds of old did not have the Holy Spirit all the time. What can keep the shepherds today from going down the same path, even though shepherds do stray, what can keep the shepherds from going down the same path as we see David and Moses and others going down is the power of the Holy Spirit that indwells them. We're going to talk about that a little bit more later. But what I want us to see today is the shepherds of the church, God still cares, God still is giving others to lead us today. That we don't just come to faith in Jesus Christ and then just live ourselves doing our own thing, trying to figure it all out. But God, no, he gives us the church so that we can grow, but in the church he also gives us shepherd leaders. Look at me in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1-4. through So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown, of glory. See, in this passage, we see that God doesn't just call a single shepherd. You can see the plurality of shepherdness to God's flock. Go back to the, the very first slide of that. So I exhort the elders, plural, among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God. So we see he exhorts the elders of the church to shepherd the flock. We also see that he gives them some responsibilities in that. He says, as, as these shepherds, as you're shepherding the flock, exercise oversight. As though you're looking at the people and you're looking at the word and you're helping direct them more and more closely to the word of God and to God himself and you're allowing them to live in this thing. So exercise oversight. Look at where you're leading them to. Then he also says, as you're carrying out this responsibility of exercising oversight, he says, he gives them a disposition. He gives shepherds of God's flock in the church a specific disposition. He says, do this not out of compulsion, but do it willingly. Do it not for sordid gain. You're not doing this to make yourself great. You're not doing this for the money. Don't do it in a domineering way, but do it eagerly. So he gives some great dispositions to these shepherds. The shepherds should not be hard shepherds. These shepherds should not be domineering shepherds. These shepherds should not be doing it just because their mom said they needed to or because their wife said that they needed to or the church even said that they needed to. They should be shepherding the flock of God because they are called of God to do it and they do it willingly. 
we also see that he gives them a role. He says, your role is to be an example. Not to be a perfect example, but to be an example. Live as an example before the people of God. Show the people of God what it means to follow Christ, what it means to fail in Christ, what it means to put yourself back up again and to live in the grace and the mercy and the love of Christ. So let yourself be an example. What I believe is the beauty of a plurality of eldership or a plurality of shepherds within the church today it's the plurality of eldership in one way provides these elders, elders of God's flock, accountability. There's accountability among elders where they're watching for each other. I said this a couple weeks ago, that since we only have one set of eyes, the only thing we can do with our own set of eyes is we can only look unto ourselves. Like, I can only see the front side of my body right now. I can't see my backside, so I don't know what's going on. But you, being accountable, you can look at my backside. You can see if I have a kick me sticker back there. Or you can see anything else that's going on. And so as an individual believer, we only have the ability to see one side of ourselves. And so sometimes we can begin to drift down this way of, of being someone that's domineering or, or someone that is no longer serving willingly or someone that's trying to, to use the position in the church as a shepherd to, to um, further their own cause. My plurality of eldership is so important because you have others looking not only at your front, but you have them looking at your side, and you're looking at have them looking at your behind to help you be accountable. I remember reading this book not too long ago. It's called the book was entitled "Ascent of a Leader," and what the book the premise of the book was this: the problem with leadership today is that we tell people that to be a leader, what you need to do is to climb this corporate ladder, and when you ascend to, as a leader to the top of this corporate ladder. What you're actually doing is we say that's the goal of your life is to ascend to the top of this thing. But what this, this book has found out is that when you have this ascent of a leader that climbs this ladder of success, what awaits the leader at the top of this ladder is isolation and invincibility. So that's what happens. So as you come up, you, leave, you, you move more and more people out of your life, and you become the only voice that you're listening to in, in the corporate sense. As you ascend to the top of this, the only voice that you're listening to is the voice of yourself. And then when you're only listening to the voice of yourself, what that does is it gives you this false sense of invincibility. For if you're the only voice you're hearing, you're going to think everything's okay, that you call the shots, that you're, you're the big guy. So that's why we see so many times some of these leaders and some of these big corporations failing. Because they have ascended to the top and they haven't included other people in there, which led, has led them to isolation and the idea of them being invincible, which has led them to failure. Now that's why I think it's important that as we look at churches based on, at our church as a base on a size, our church has moved beyond the capacity of Pastor John and myself. We're at the place where we, we are looking at each other's backs. That's taking place. There is accountability between Pastor John and myself. <coughs> But there's also a time in which we're looking out over the people of God that God is bringing to us. And there are people that could potentially fall through the cracks. And we don't want that to happen. So that's why we're asking the church to begin to consider calling other lay shepherds to serve as elders. So as we close, I want to ask yourself this question. Is biblical eldership biblical? Like, have, have you come from the Word of God today walking away being able to say, 
that's a biblical idea. Like I may not fully understand it yet, but what, what Pastor Jeff has just talked about, and what the Word of God has told us, is that there's this idea that is biblical, that maybe we might need to, to rethink things a little bit more as a church. How are we doing this? Second question is, well, hopefully the answer is yes. Hopefully it is biblical. Second question is, is it relevant? So even though the, the, the Bible talks about a plurality of eldership, a, a plurality of shepherds, is it relevant to our current state? And I would say yes, it is. More so at the Hokessing campus than here, because here, right now, I am the shepherd. I am the shepherd of this, this flock. But also, John serves as a shepherd of this flock as well. So you have care, but as we grow, we're soon going to come to the place of where you're going to reach the limit of my capacity. I can shepherd, I know most of you here today, some of you are visitors, and that's good, I hope to get to know you. But those of you that are regular part of this church, I know you, you have access to me. You can call me up on the phone and say, Pastor Jeff, I've got this going on, and I'll be there for you. But as soon as we grow, it'll soon become out of my grasp. So I, is it relevant? I think it is. And in this idea of relevance and in this ascent of our current state, I know that in the coming weeks and coming months, that God is going to begin, if he hasn't already, God is going to be calling some of the men of this congregation to serve as elders. So is God calling you? And last question. Last question. <laughs> From the mouth of babes. Because the scientific. Cut it off, cut it down, and move on. That's the last question. Who is it that you are shepherding? Who is it in your life that you're giving your life to so they can walk more closely with the Lord? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for loving us and thank you for giving us a beautiful biblical example of shepherding. Father, we thank you that you are the great shepherd and you have sent Jesus to be the good shepherd. Father, that even in this place that you've called other people to be shepherds over our lives and that you have blessed us so greatly. But Father, I just pray that you continue in these next few weeks and, and, and next moments uh, to continue to work in our hearts and help us to be convicted of, of, the, of the reality of shepherds and help uh, would you continue to raise out shepherds from within this flock. But God, I also just pray for those that, that may be here today that are, are wayward that our sheep without a sheep, that they have disconnected themselves from you. May they today look to you as the God of the universe, the God that cares, and the good shepherd, and may they find their hope in you. In Jesus' name.